Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Romans chapter 8, 29 through 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he, whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Ephesians verse, chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Heavenly Father, open the eyes of our heart to see the glory of your plan to conform us to the image of your Son. That's our simple prayer for now. And we pray it in the name of Jesus, our model and our Savior. Amen. We're in this series on discipleship. So let me ask you a serious question. Do you think that a person can be a believer, a Christian in Christ, but not be a disciple? There are some who seem to think that accepting Christ as your Savior is absolutely essential, but that discipleship is optional. Once they have accepted Christ, they try to have a, live a good life as best they can, attend church, give something to the offering, maybe cry out to God for help when they're in trouble, but seriously following Christ in a way that radically changes their life is not considered. But let me tell you, that is not how the New Testament talks about following Christ as his disciples. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor in Germany and who was martyred towards the end of World War II, a godly man who wrote, Christianity without discipleship is always a Christianity without Christ. Faith that separates salvation from discipleship is not true faith. 
Faith without the obedience of discipleship is not real. It is nothing more than an intellectual exercise. We are called to a life of discipleship. And when we put our trust in Christ, we do that not only to receive forgiveness of sin, but to commit our life to loving obedience in his kingdom, willing to pay the price of whatever it takes to follow wherever he leads. That is the life of discipleship. So in the middle of this series that outlines the steps and the phases of a discipleship of Christ, we present this diagram, it's on the screen, and we'd like to, for us to see that discipleship is not just a one-moment thing. It's a whole process. It's a lifetime process. And it begins when we engage people where they are, and we become salt and light in their world, seeking to draw them into this new life of Christ attracting them, persuading them, presenting the gospel. The next stage of a disciple is to accept this message, and we present the gospel, the good news, that in Christ we can escape the tyranny of sin in our life. In Christ we can have forgiveness of our sins. In Christ we can become new creatures. Rock Dion shared last week his testimony of how he made it a habit of his life to regularly talk to people and to explain to them this good news, that there is hope of rescue from the tyranny of sin in our life. And it was thrilling as you recounted how people make decisions and they choose to put their trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sin and the redemption into the family of God. But if you remember, last week Rock said, God does not call us to be passive Christians. He calls us to a life of active obedience to him. He calls us to a life of discipleship, which is central to God's plan of bringing people out of the kingdom of darkness and bringing them into his kingdom of light and salvation. The whole point of the gospel is that we might be transformed into the image of Christ. This is the process of sanctification. It is being conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's why we're talking today about something that is so vitally important. It is the step of establishing those who have found salvation in Christ to establish them in their faith, to ground them in this principle of active obedience. 
So this is where the rubber hits the road in this pathway of discipleship. Let's be clear. We have defined a disciple. What does it mean? A disciple is an apprentice, a learner, a follower of Christ, seeking to become more like him one step at a time. Two of the texts that we have read today, thank you, Phil, help us to understand a little bit just what is involved in that process of becoming more like him. Matthew chapter 28, for example, we read, go make disciples, baptizing them, and teach them what? Notice he does not say, teach them all that I have commanded you. Disciplesmanship is not just learning the things that Jesus taught. He said, teach them and train them to keep and obey all that I have commanded you. That means it's a learning that changes the way we live. It's not just an intellectual process. A disciple is a follower of Christ, learning to live according to the rules of his kingdom. It is a life of obedience. Now, this kind of discipleship is sort of like repentance, in the sense that repent means to turn from your old ways and start living in a new way, in a new direction, change your life. That is why it says, baptize them. And baptism is such a powerful symbol. We are buried and we die to our old way of life and we are raised into a new way of life. We leave the old life and we're raised into a whole new kind of living. Jesus commanded the church to baptize the disciples to show that they have left their old life and they are now entering into a new kind of life. Disciples then are learners. They are followers of Christ in such a close and deep way that their lives are transformed into imitations of Christ himself. And that's revealed to us in our second text from Romans chapter 29, where it says that God's plan for us is to conform us into the image of his Son. Jesus Christ is the goal of this transformation. I think one way we can put it is we are to become Christ learners. We learn Christ, not just things about him. We learn to be like him. And I remind you, that this transformation is going to cost you everything. To learn Jesus means to submit yourself to his teaching, to walk in his ways. 
It means leaving behind all your current loyalties and commitments and habits and traditions and preferences. It will mean walking the road to Jerusalem with Jesus and facing the cross with him and dying to self with him. Jesus makes it very clear Saving our old life is not an option. It's only by losing our life that we can be saved. Or to put it in the language of Paul, it is only by being crucified with Christ that we can rise to new life in him. To learn Christ you must also unlearn the old way of life. Put off the old self of sin and all of its deceits and addictions and put on the, the new life of righteousness in Christ. Putting on the righteousness of Christ is like putting on a new set of clothes. It's not just adopting a new lifestyle, it is a complete change of your character and your identity from the inside out. Paul wrote to the Galatians and he said, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pain of childbirth, until Jesus Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed by you. You see, Paul's goal was to help people to be shaped into the likeness of Jesus. When he says, I'm praying that Christ will be formed in you, the word there in Greek is morph, morphe. It's the same idea that we saw in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, being conformed, being morphed, being transformed, being conformed to the character of Jesus Christ himself. So when we say that a disciple is an apprentice, we mean somebody who is not only learning to obey him, and follow what he does, but it is to become more like him. We are talking about a complete morphing and transformation of our character into the likeness of Christ. So let me just summarize what these two texts reveal about following Christ as his apprentice. We train people to keep and obey all the teachings of Jesus. It is a new way of life. And then we help people to submit to the transforming work of the Spirit in their lives, which will morph or transform them into the image of his Son. We become new creatures in Christ. Now, we're talking about how can we be engaged in helping others 
We engage them in the world where they are, and we evangelize them and give them the good news of the gospel. And once they have accepted Christ, we must now work to establish them in this new faith, this life of obedience and transformation. So how can we help them to begin to grow in their faith, to learn to follow and obey him? How can we help a believer who is struggling, perhaps, stuck in his Christian life, to get out of the rut and to begin to renew his or her journey towards fullness in Christ? We can establish others in this process by, I think, four principal actions, and I'd like to share them with you today. In the New Testament, the basic way to help people establish them in their faith and to grow them into a life of obedience and transformation is through the proclamation of the word. It's sharing God's truth. The content of this gospel, this word, is centered, of course, on Jesus Christ. It encompasses the whole Bible, the whole plan of God. It talks about how God is rescuing us from sin and bringing us into the kingdom of his glorious presence. God has fulfilled all of this, and we need to share this plan that he has had from the very beginning. So God, we want to share with them, God has fulfilled his plan for his creation by sending his only son, born in the line of David, to die for sins and rise again as our Savior, Lord and Christ over all the earth, world, so that people dwelling in darkness from every nation might now hear the call to repentance and faith, be forgiven, reconciled, and justified, and live a life that is increasingly obedient to all his commands as they await for the sure hope of entering into his gospel kingdom. That's the whole big plan. And we need to be sharing that so that people see how they fit into what God's plan is. It's a dazzling kind of story. And it's part of what the Bible is all about. And so when we're sharing with others, we're taking parts of this story, focusing on Christ, expanding to them the words of the word of God. This word is authoritative. It is sufficient. It is all that we need in order to grow into fullness in Christ. And it is done by speaking the words of truth, one to another. Now, you can speak this word in all kinds of contexts. It isn't just here on Sunday morning. It isn't just me who is preaching. It has to be done 
in all kinds of ways, maybe over the airwaves, maybe in a private conversation over a cup of coffee at the coffee shop. Maybe it's at your bedside of your young son or daughter who is asking about something they learned in Sunday school. Maybe it's with a dying partner. It can be proclaimed in a public arena. It can be proclaimed in a private Facebook video. In fact, a disciple-making church is characterized by the multiple ways and places that the Word of God is spoken and shared. It is not limited to some expository sermon on Sunday morning. When we proclaim the truth, when we share truths from God's Word about God and Christ, and repeating his promise or urge somebody to godly living, we are sharing this word with someone else. As we re-speak the word that God has spoken to us in his word. I think that's what the proclamation of the word means. It's implied in the text we read, Teach them to keep and obey all that I have taught you. It's done as we share the word and talk the word one to another. But it is not just sharing the word. It's also we help establish others by demonstrating Christ-like encouragement as we care for others. Look at the example of Paul in 1 Corinthians. And I recall that because we studied the book of 1 Corinthians last summer. And if you were with us, you may remember some of these examples. But as we studied that book, we saw how Paul cared for this young church. He was only there for three or four weeks. And so they were new in Christ, but he wrote back to them and he said, I cared for you as a nursing mother cares for her own children. I, he worked hard among them like a father who exhorts and models for his children how they should work and live. You see, Paul cared for the people and served as an example to them to follow. Many times Paul has said to this church and to other churches, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's a constant theme in his writings. He wants Christians to learn his ways by imitating his example. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Another place he wrote to Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. He wrote to Titus, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, 
dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. This caring for the brothers and sisters in their church and modeling from them how to live for Christ, it must be aligned with the first point, sharing the word of God, teaching them the truths of God's word. We have to visibly model what we are preaching. There can't be a disconnect between the two. We must be an example of what we're teaching. We must be living in obedience to the gospel ourselves. This, of course, when we try to say to others, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I can tell you personally, I cringe to ever say that to anyone. Because all of us, we're painfully aware that in our own lives there's sin and failure, and we fall short, far, fall short in keeping Jesus' commandments. And we feel that our lives are a constant cycle of failure. We're always asking for forgiveness. We're always striving to repent and become more like Christ. And so we're never feeling like we're good enough to be a model for somebody else to follow. And yet, when Paul said, follow me, he is not saying you need to be perfect, because he said, I am not perfect, I have not arrived. But what he is asking them to do is to follow his example of pursuing the life of obedience. The example we give is of someone who is learning to keep all the commandments of Jesus, who is seeking to grow and make progress and be transformed and bring forth fruit of the Spirit. In other words, the example we set is someone who, by God's word and spirit, is moving in the right direction one step at a time. Not someone who has already arrived at the heavenly fulfillment of Christian maturity. We can never do that in this life. So imitate me in the way I am pursuing him. This step of caring for one another in a way that models the truth of God's word is critical in our pathway of discipleship. The culture of our church will not change unless a critical mass of Christ learners has caught the vision of moving themselves and others to the right one step at a time. If you want to help someone else begin to grow and change into Christ-likeness, then you must be ready to practice what you preach. Until a critical mass of believers in our church are actively modeling what it means to learn Christ and to be transformed into his image, we will not become a disciple-making church.
but we all need to be involved in that. And I want to give an example of someone in our church, and I have their permission to use their name. Dana Parker comes to visit my wife almost every week. And for the last year, she has been coming to visit. They come and she brings another lady with her and uh, oh, they have a great time. And they talk about old times and families and all kinds of things. But they also spend time talking about how they're following the Lord. They read some devotional or a text of scripture and then they pray together. As Dana told me, she, she said, I don't ever come prepared. It's just as we talk and we share about the things that are going on, I learn as much from Jan as she learns from me. And it's encouraging each other. And I can tell you that this has become one of the highlight blessings for my wife in the past year. It's modeling and sharing the word one with another. There's a third thing. We proclaim the word of God and we caringly model a life of true discipleship. But this is all done in prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit. I return to, again to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Paul said there in the book, I preach the word not with words of worldly wisdom and powerful words of persuasion, but with the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And the Thessalonians received those words as it truly is, the very word of God that worked mightily in them. And the Spirit opened their minds and their hearts to receive it, and they turned from idols to the living God. The work of transformation is done by the Holy Spirit, not by us. The scripture says, He, God, regenerates and renews our hearts by His Spirit, so that we grasp hold of His offer of salvation and are justified freely by His grace. He transforms us by His Spirit and brings forth the fruit of righteousness in our lives. He pours out His Spirit on His disciples to open their mouths to speak His Word. He gives boldness by His Spirit for them to continue speaking His Word. By His Spirit, he is present with us, gifting and enabling us to speak the word in love to one another for mutual edification. And finally, in Philippians chapter 2, he writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. All that we're doing in sharing the word and modeling obedience 
We do on the power of the Holy Spirit. This last week, I participated in the memorial service for Mary and Phillips. She didn't have any children, and it was her nephew, Dan Einerson, who arranged for the service. And he tells that the day she passed away, he came to visit with her. She was hard of hearing, so you had to get right down close to her. She was not conscious or really aware of your presence, but he got down really close to her and almost shouting to her. He reminded her of the promises of God, that he had prepared a place for her, and that he was praying for her. And he told her, it's okay, you can let go. God is ready to receive you into his presence. And he said, as I was shouting those words, holding her hand, it seemed like she sort of relaxed. Her breathing became easier. And within an hour, she had passed into the presence of God, her Savior. Because it was, it wasn't something Dan did. It was the Spirit working even in the life of one who's just on the doorsteps of heaven. There's one final step I think that we must take in establishing others in their faith. And that means that it must begin in our own heart. It's worth reading, I think, how Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 3. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained it, or already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on, I strive with all my might toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. And let those of us who are mature think this way. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join 
in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Let me close with just two observations about that text. Growing into Christ-likeness takes time. It is one step at a time. When Paul wrote that, he had already been a disciple and an apostle for many years, and he was in prison and close to death at that point. And still he said, I'm striving. I'm still working. It doesn't happen overnight or in one Sunday morning service. Paul said that he has not yet arrived, but he continues to strive towards the goal with all his might in order that he might, what? Know Christ. Have an intimacy with him. That actually can say, I know him. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, he was still striving. He had not arrived. So Paul continued to strive one step at a time with all his might, paying whatever price it took in order that he might have that intimate fellowship and communion with Christ. But that can only happen, and here's my closing observation. That kind of fullness in Christ can only happen when we are alone with him. We will change into his likeness only if we spend time in his presence. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's only when you are in his presence that his reflected glory will begin to transform you. And you cannot do that on the run. You cannot do it when you're busy and distracted with other things. We have to slow down and walk with him at his pace. One author said, walking with God at three miles an hour. That's the average speed of somebody who is walking, an adult walking. Walk with God. It means getting alone and meditating quietly and slowly on his word. It means taking time to listen to the voice of his spirit so that he can burn his truths into your heart and soul. It means meeting with God as Moses did, who talked with God as one talking face to face with a friend. 
It means sitting at his feet and listening to his teaching as his devoted disciple and as Mary did. It means going off into a desert place alone to pray to the Father as Jesus did. It means spending time in his presence every day and letting the reflection of his glory change you into his image. The goal of discipleship is to be conformed to his image, to become like Christ, and you cannot lead someone else into that deep discipleship until you yourself are following hard after him. So I conclude with these four practical points. I'm going to put them on the screen. You can take a photo of them if you like. Write them down. What I do is invite you this next week to pray about these. Just talk about it with a friend, with your wife, with your husband, with a colleague, with a roommate. Get together with somebody and talk. How can I do these four things? Proclaim the word of God in all kinds of situations, in all of my conversations, from the marketplace to King Supers to the foyer of the church. How can I demonstrate Christ-like encouragement as I care for others? How can I pray for one another and depend on the Spirit to use my words to work in their lives? But most of all, how can I pursue intimacy with Christ as I spend time alone with him? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we invite you to come and to work in our life as disciple makers. We pray that you will send the Holy Spirit to form us, to change us, so that we can share your word and model for others what it means to become Christ-like. Teach me, Father, how to hear Jesus, how to love Jesus, and how to share your gift with everyone I meet, in every conversation, in every situation, in total dependence on your Spirit. Oh, Father, I pray that I might know you in such a way that when I meet others, they also can meet Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be that kind of a disciple-making church. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.